1: Oh hi everybody, you are listening to the next Best Picture Podcast and this is our review of the Disaster Artist. Los Angeles, everybody wants to be star. You have to be the best and never give up. When I get up on stage in front of people, all I can think about is what if they laugh at me? You man, you're fearless. (laughs) I want to feel that too. I don't care. I'll do it. You and me, we both have this dream. Yeah, I guess we do. And <laughs> <laughs> hey, we'll be famous. We'll show them. Watch out, here we go. To be or not to be? It's not gonna happen for you. Not in a million years. What after that? It's town, Greg. They don't want me. Wish we could just make our own movie. That's a great idea. So there's this guy, Johnny, a true American hero, to be played by me. He has it all. Good luck. Many friends. and Also, maybe Johnny is vampire. We'll see. This set of the alleyway looks exactly like the real alleyway. That's right. Well, why don't we just shoot in the real alleyway? Because it's a real Hollywood movie. No, yeah, sounds good. Okay. Okay. Action. I did not hit her. I did not. Oh, hi, Mark. But the, it doesn't work
0: if you're looking at the camera.
1: And then this beautiful girl. Anything for my princess. She betrayed him. And then this guy, Johnny. He go crazy. Nobody respect my vision. You are a villain. I do this whole movie for you, Greg. You are tearing me apart, Lisa. Oh. Oh. Cut. Why are you cut, Sandy? This is great. This is real acting. If you're gonna writhe around with the dress, maybe do it before you shoot yourself in the head and blow your brains out. I disagree we really gonna make this thing? We are going together. Together. Tommy, this is not necessary. No, very necessary. I need to show my ass to sell this movie. I think you're aiming a little bit. I aim what I aim, just do the scene. Why is he having sex with her belly button? He knows where her vagina is, right? All right, everybody, you were just listening to the trailer for The Disaster Artist. And the story is as follows. Tommy Wiseau and Greg Sestero become friends after meeting each other in an acting class in San Francisco. Hoping to achieve Hollywood stardom, Sestero meets, uh, moves to Los Angeles and signs on to appear in his buddy's project. Financed with his own money, Wiseau writes, directs, and stars in A Room*. A critically maligned movie that becomes a cult classic. The film is starring James Franco, Dave Franco, Seth Rogen, Alison Brie, Ari Grainer, Josh Hutcherson, and Jackie Weaver. It is directed by James Franco and written by Scott Newstander and Michael H. Weber. Joining me for this review, I have... Will Mavity. Oh, hi, Will. <laughs> He's cranky today. Uh, hi, Matt. <laughs> I,
0: I I can't do it without sounding German. This is apocalyptic. Hi, everybody. Anyway, how's your sex life? <laughs> your sex life. Have you ever? No. Okay, we'll we'll talk about our favorite the room moments as time goes on.
1: I I, I can tell you right now. I can tell you the answer to whatever it you, was you're about to ask was I did not.
0: I did not. No, I think um I a scene that comes up in the movie, my all time favorite moment, and maybe my favorite scene in the film, because honestly, I feel like this review is going to be just a lot of us reliving scenes. We love is the whole (laughs) that she got beat up so bad. She ended up in a hospital on Carrera street.
1: (laughs) What a a story story Mark.
0: Mark. (laughs) (laughs) So that's my roundabout way of saying this is one of the funniest movies I've seen all year.
1: Yes. Um, I think it might be my favorite comedy of 2017, and I don't know how much of that is because I love The Room, or how much of that is simply because I love the process of filmmaking, or I think that this is just one of those movies, Will, where um, objectivity and subjectivity just have to go flying out the window here, and I just have to embrace the fact that there are a lot of factors in this movie that are swaying me uh, towards a more positive review and reaction to this.
0: Yeah, so let, let's let's be clear. Let's get this out in the open. Technically, it's not a very well-made film.
1: I, I agree with that, yes. Yeah. The, the,
0: the camera work, I, I have no idea why they chose to shoot everything handheld. The lighting's murky. But uh, is this by design... You know, I, I would like to say that, but there's nothing that tells me that is the case.
1: Well, let's put it this way. James Franco's not the best director in the world. Uh, I, I think we can all agree upon that. But can we also agree that this is also his best directorial effort Oh, so absolutely. And, um,
0: you know, he gets props because presumably it was him who got all these cameos and he gets props for bringing together. I wouldn't call it an ensemble cast per se, but a hell of an impressive cast for just many, many small roles. So Franco, yeah. that's all him. And Franco the
1: actor was fantastic. Oh, this is the best he's been since 127 hours, bar none.
0: Yeah, and I, I would say just generally probably his second best performance ever.
1: Yeah, I, I'm almost, I'm almost tempted to say I think it might be his best, but I think that. I mean, they're they're two very, very different types of performances, and then there's that crowd out there, and it's like, Spring Breakers, you know? Yeah, he's fun in that.
0: (laughs) But I I don't think, this Tommy Wiseau comes close, but it still doesn't necessarily have the emotional depth of an Aaron Ralston performance, but part of the reason this film works so well is I went into it expecting that this thing was just basically going to be Franco and Seth Rogen and their friends just making fun of Tommy Wiseau. And instead, it's a very loving, emotionally complex portrayal of this man, of someone who's very lonely and is trying to do something great. And it's so much more effective as a result.
1: You know, it's interesting because – in a way, it reminded me of Ingrid Goes West from earlier this year, a character that's very, very lonely. Uh, I I don't know. Is it safe to say that Tommy Wiseau is sick in the head? Oh, uh, uh, yes. Yes. Yeah, okay. All right, good. I wanted to make sure I was politically correct in saying that. Um, And it also deals in this um, attachment that he has towards um, another person who shows him the slightest bit of attention you know he just latches on to uh greg who's played by uh james's brother david and it's like all of a sudden everything that greg wants uh tommy's willing to provide anything that you know he wants to take a trip to los angeles in the middle of the night uh you know to james dean's uh you know burial site where he not burial site but like you know where he got in a car accident and died you know, Tommy's like three hours, no problem. We do it, you know. And it's like, you know, what, what, what? We're gonna drive all the way out there right now. Come on, man. You know, it's just, and it's creepy. It's really genuinely creepy at times. He's almost
0: also a Madic Pixie Dream Girl. You know, he's he's like this malevolent cross between the Mantic Pixie Dream Girl who helps the kind of stoic male character find himself and then oh wow Forrest Gump
1: we're, we're getting into like a very um quasi uh, heterosexual homosexual I don't even know what to call it <laughs> relationship here well, between the film characters. Is, I
0: would argue the film is a love story You know, in in the same way that the TV show Hannibal is, it's never made explicit, but it's pretty clear that Tommy Wiseau was attracted to uh, Greg Sestero, and that that influenced his reasons for
1: making the movie. Ultimately, yeah, absolutely. I I understand that the room is not so much based on you know the relationship of Greg Sestero as as the disaster artist wants you to believe it is. Um, I believe that there are other events in Tommy's life. Um, that influenced it. But I do like that, you know, for example, Dave Franco meets um, at one point uh, his real life wife, by the way, very, very jealous, Alison Brie. Uh She's gorgeous and very talented. And that causes a little bit of a rift there where all of a sudden Tommy feels like he's being replaced and it you know they really do a good job of like working that into uh lines of dialogue about the room itself because the room is all about this guy who thinks he's got this uh person in his life um and then all of a sudden you know he finds out that she betrays him you know and that's the crux of the room and everyone betray me i'm fed up with this world you know fuck it oh yeah <laughs> don't touch me motherfucker <laughs> how many times have you seen the room Oh, I've, I, let me tell you something. I, I've seen that movie so many times since my first initial viewing in 2009. It is very ridiculous. Um, but I'm sure many people also are like this in a way because this movie, I've never seen a movie like The Room. I've never, ever, ever seen a movie that was so bad it was this good. Like, I've seen bad movies that were just bad. You know, yeah. I, I've never seen a bad movie that was this enjoyably bad. Hands of Manos maybe uh, comes close. Well, and Plan
0: 9 from Outer Space and Bird Demick for sure. Oh,
1: Bird Demick is freaking awesome.
0: Oh my god. (laughs) Yeah, Now we need to see a follow-up. But going back to the room, um, yeah, it was... The relationship between them is very well fleshed out. And I do think that it isn't taking that much creative liberty, that that did heavily influence, I mean, obviously they needed to streamline things to make it function as a screenplay, but I do yeah, think- Yeah, like the
1: ending of the film, for example. Right. Like that did not happen on the same freaking night, Tommy having this revelation about uh, what he had created, you know, that took a long time, like years. Did you read the book? Uh, No, but I mean, I, uh, no, no. I, I've been told by friends who have read the book, like who have said to me, oh, well, did you know? Like, did you know that this happened?
0: They toned down the homoeroticism for the film between Tommy and Greg. Oh, really? Oh. Tommy w- reportedly cracked his door opens a lot of night and just, like, implying that Greg should come in and would say things like, Somebody's chicken! So, chip, chip, chip,
1: chip, 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 chip.
0: <laughs> You know, there's so much, once again, there's so much of Tommy's life that comes into this film. Um, But, yeah, it's... I, I was impressed that Nussauder and Weber were able to make this Tommy Wiseau, who is a mutant in that he does not behave like a human being, still feels somewhat sympathetic.
1: Yeah, no, he's socially inept and, you know, you have to wonder how much of that is, uh, you know, pity and how much of it is admiration. There There is a lot to admire about a guy who is constantly told, "You'll never make it, you can't do it." And whether by intention or not, the end justifies the memes here. The guy is a su- success.
0: He is the quintessential American dream story in a perverse way. It's like Nightcrawler, you know It is, it is the guy who comes from nothing and makes a name for himself. So my, one of my questions is, the book does give a little more backstory about Tommy Wiseau. Do you like that they just left it with no one knows where his money came from, no one knows where he's from or how old he is? Because the book, there, you can get an idea of where Tommy came from. He probably had to sell his body when he was a young man to make money. Um, he hustled to make his fortune. I mean, he's still mysterious, but do you like that they left that ambiguous, or do you wish we had gotten a little bit more of who
1: was Tommy Wiseau? As I was leaving the theater, I did have this feeling of, hmm, I wish I'd learned something coming out of this movie uh, that I previously didn't know before. You know, I felt like I didn't learn anything new. I felt like I got, like, a a very good representation, great entertainment, and a Class A performance from Franco out of it, Um, but I didn't feel like I'd learned anything new about the production making of The Room or... You know, about this relationship. I I got to see it fleshed out, but from a facts uh, bullet point list, I I didn't learn anything. Mind you now, uh, here's the thing. If they only know one of the three questions, you know, how old is he? Where does he get his money from? And um, what was the other thing again? How old is he? Where does he get his money from? And where are you from? Where is he from? Right. Those are the three questions. New Orleans. Yeah. New Orleans. (laughs) Um... If they only give us the answer to one of those and they didn't give us the answers to two because they just simply don't know, but they know only one, I wouldn't have liked that. So I'm 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 OK with not getting an answer in the film for either one. OK. And I think it does leave the uh, movie on a interesting note, at least, you know, that here's this guy, the unlikely success story, like you said. And yet still, we don't know anything about him. You know what I mean?
0: Yeah. And on that level, I think it is ultimately a pretty good adaptation. I think the book is... There's so many funny anecdotes, and it it is fascinating to see how he made it come together. There's little details, like he wanted to have the film considered part of SAG, and SAG was like, fuck you, we don't want to take you, so they uh he created he had a korean (laughs) leather import business on the side and he just i'm I'm just
1: imagining sag just being like fuck you we don't want
0: to take you (laughs) oh i assume it was probably not unlike judd apatow's character's interaction but tommy goes and he has a korean leather business on the side and he that's he just shoots three advertisements that have him just like walking down a staircase and speaking about korean leather and use those as his three credits to make him eligible for SAG. And that's how he became SAG. Like, the real life story is so interesting. And we did lose some of that in favor of just beat after beat of hilarious moments. But I think it made for a more crowd pleasing film. Oh, yeah. You know, there is, consequently, there are a few things that leave me a little dissatisfied. But it's so goddamn funny
1: that. Yeah. I, I, I can't resent it. Uh, you know, probably my, my, one of my favorite laugh out loud moments and just going back to Judd Apatow uh, for a minute. Like that scene, you were talking before about like cameos in this movie. The part where like the waitress like comes over and she's like, is everything okay, sir? And he's like, yeah, he just got through two fucking acts of Shakespeare before you got <laughs> over here. Like- <laughs>
0: oh, You know, th- this movie has so many wink, wink, nudge, nudge moments. The, the agent that Judd Apatow's character talks
1: about oh. is actually Judd Apatow's agent in real life. Yeah, yeah. Michael Kramer, like, oh my. Did God. you notice the casting? The casting agents when he goes, uh, when, when Greg goes oh, to, to the to casting Iris agency. Irish Burton
0: agency. Yeah. Who played them? Um, oh shit! Was it Sharon Stone or Michelle? Pfeiffer, oh, it was it was Sharon Stone. Yeah. Yeah, um, it was Sharon Stone. Mm-hmm. And then um, you know you had, you had uh, what's Bob Odenkirk as that one drama teacher. You, you know, Brian Cranston. Yeah, Brian Cranston is Brian. I'm, I'm really
1: glad they didn't not. Uh, have him, you know, a continuity error, and they didn't have him say, "Oh, we have this part. I need you to play like this, you know, this young meth dealer." I was like, <laughs> "He could have I thought they were gonna say it, you know what I mean? Because uh, Dave Franco with the beard and everything, you know, kind of strikes you he, he as the been Jesse, Jesse Pinkman type. Six years too early, right? Right. So I'm just, I'm really glad that that was not a a moment to be like, "Oh, let's in, let's put some pop culture reference in," you know what I mean? Because that would have just been so stupid. Or maybe I'm stupid for even thinking it. The cameos were
0: executed well. Like, they were admittedly distracting, but in a comedy, that's okay. Like, having, um... What's his face? Uh, Zach Efron as Chris
1: R., that was so Oh, my funny. God. That was amazing. Why? Why? Why is his name Chris R.? Why can't I just call him Chris? <laughs> and, that was a nice bit of
0: structuring, because on as far as the adaptation goes... Putting a scene that randomly happened in the film uh, it into the shoot at the very beginning of the shoot is a nice way to, uh, you know, mess with the audience of, oh, is this going to be good? That's pretty impressive. That's the first thing they shot. And so you can see the characters come on board. And then obviously their expectations just go downhill from there. Like, I, Weber and deserve in, in a thin year like this, they deserve their nomination.
1: I totally agree. I'm not going to sit here and say, I disagree. I, <laughs> uh, I'm i just going to keep doing like Tommy so lines the rest of this review. Well, at the end of the day, there isn't that
0: much as a film to analyze about it. <laughs> that great idea. I didn't love Dave Porter's score. I thought it was bland, and since we're talking about Breaking Bad, I love his work in Breaking Bad so much. This let me down. It felt like the most generic indie movie score imaginable, but I did love... Yeah, but when
1: it gets to the third act, though, um, and you have what is, for me, um, one of the best scenes of the year, or at least most memorable, and that is the premiere. Oh, yeah. That's when I felt the score really came together. That's when James Franco's performance came full circle for not just myself, but for the audience members, too, because... The audience that I saw this with, will I don't know about you. M- my theater sold out.
0: Oh a yeah. single well, seat I was saw empty. it. No, you know who I saw it with. Um, Franco came to my screening, but like two thirds the audience was the crew of the film. Oh wow. They were, you know, they they were all cheering. It was a combination of room diehards and then people who worked on the film and Taika D for some reason. Um, <laughs> so I had a great, and that was, you know, the. Um, people like with the Rocky Horror, they shout out lines to the actors on screen. So my audience, I could not have seen it with a better audience. They, uh, you know, he's like, oh, you're looking so sexy in this dress. And then people are like, what dress? And this music, what music? (laughs) It it was was spectacular. People threw spoons at mine.
1: Oh, that's amazing. That's that. Yeah. I I had people that were like laughing at things that like, there was, like, like one guy laughing at one point at something, and then, like, some of the audience was like, what's you laughing at? While other then members of the audience were joining in on the laughter because it was, like, an in-joke from the original room. So you could definitely tell, like, who were fans and who were people who were just seeing this movie for the first time with, like, maybe very little or no context. But... When they're all like uproariously laughing, seeing the actual clips from the room play out, and they're watching like Seth Rogen in the audience laughing, uh, Jackie Weaver, Lisa, um, everybody's like laughing, watching with this creation that Tommy Wiseau has made. And then when they, did, probably one of the most effective cuts, literally of the year, is the cut to James Franco's face, and tears are coming down his, uh, his face, and, he, and it's not tears of joy, it's tears of sadness. An audible hush just went over my whole crowd like everybody just stopped laughing and everybody just went silent it's honestly will for me that might have been a very single uh, singular experience but that that's like one of the best most cinematic moments i've had all year that you know i don't think i could have gotten you know watching it at home or anything like that that was it was just incredible
0: franco does so much with his eyes like on top of you know keeping them the lazy frozen. eye
1: yeah, you know how hard that he is maintains to do? the
0: lazy eye. But on top of that, just the sadness he communicates with his eyes. That was extraordinary. Yeah. You know, like, he, he managed to do an obvious tick, but then also make it feel natural. Like, he did
1: so much with his eyes. That was far and away the best part of his performance. Did, did, did the performance get um, grating for you after a while? <sighs>
0: Sometimes it just felt
1: like mimicry. I will admit that.
0: Generally, no.
1: Yeah, because you could definitely hear there are times where James Franco's, like, normal voice starts to creep in a little bit.
0: Oh, for sure. There, there were definitely some scenes where he just completely turned to James Franco. I mean, like, I, I never once felt like I'm watching Tommy Wiseau, not James Franco.
1: Oh, no. I, I actually I, – I disagree. Um, I, I really did feel that um, – people talk about this year how Gary Oldman is Winston Churchill – James Franco is Tommy Wiseau. Like, this is a transformative performance. You know what I mean? Yeah,
0: it it is, and he's very, very good. He, I generally did feel shades of James Franco in there, except there is a cameo with Tommy Wiseau where he interacts with Franco. Kind of After the credits, yeah. Yeah, and in that moment, they were almost indistinguishable. That was one of his best mimicry moments. But just even if he didn't always completely come across as Tommy Wiseau, just as a base performance. And that's more important, I think. It's very... Because, you know, like, a, a lot of actors can mimic. It's very hard to make a emotionally real performance. And I think that's what Franco did.
1: Uh, yeah, I think, it, I think he does take it, like, a step beyond uh, resulting in still what I think is one of the best performances of the year, whether I had seen The Room or not. Uh, because, to me, and you may disagree... Um, I, I did feel James Franco disappear into this role minus the times where the voice kind of came back maybe a little bit maybe in moments where he was shouting I, I, I definitely think of that line where he tells like Greg you know nobody respect my vision. my vision you know it's like oh,
0: the scene where he's walking around with his balls out
1: <laughs> oh god yes
0: Oh, oh my god. And the Amazing. way they turn scenes like that that are just so outrageous into legitimately emotional and important moments too, I thought that was impressive. Like, that's such yeah. an absurd scene. He's walking around with his nuts out, but it's also one of the most important emotional moments of the film.
1: Can can we also give praise uh, to Seth Rogen who, I freaking love when Seth Rogen plays a role straight. Yeah. It doesn't go for silly antics. Like, he was so funny in this
0: the scene in the bank i just the line delivery where uh he walks up he puts he cashes the check and then he yeah. like, went through and they're like yes and he's like wow <laughs> did not see that coming <laughs> just the deadpan of that is yeah. so funny
1: yeah i i definitely want to give him a shout out and some credit there um Dave Franco, a very limited actor. I really don't like a lot of stuff that I've ever really seen him in. To tell you the Truth, yeah. Um, I kind of dug him in the Little Hours earlier this year. Did you see that one? The Nun movie? No, I didn't. Oh, you should check that one out. That movie's really funny. Uh, we'll probably make my comedy list for the uh, end of year. I would say, um, but this might be the best I think I've seen him. You know? Yeah. He uh, when he finally snaps. He's impressive. I didn't Yeah, that scene when they're playing football, right? Yeah.
0: I, I yeah, didn't necessarily yeah. think he was the completely right choice, just even physically, for Greg Sestero. Like Dave Franco's a good looking dude, but Greg Sesteros is strapping six foot two, you know, like specimen. He's got a very imposing presence. I wouldn't
1: say that's Dave Franco. Well, there's definitely that factor of you know, James has taken on this very demanding lead role that requires a lot of himself as an actor. He's also directing the movie. Why not cast your friends and family? You know, to give to give you, like, that support on set. You know what I mean? I get why he did it. I think
0: maybe he wasn't the perfect casting choice. But, yeah, this is probably the best performance I've seen him give. And to his credit, you know, he, he got pretty buff for the film, too. I mean, he, he, he kind of looked like Greg Sestero. And he does have as good of moments, as we said, when he when he
1: grows down. out the beard and he's wearing the red shirt. That yeah, he, he wears, does like, look in like room. him there. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. That's the. Those are the scenes where I'm like, okay, I see it now. But um, his face is not as uh, thinned out. You know, he's not as tall, like you said. Um, where Franco, uh, the hair. He does. He sure as hell looks like Tommy. Oh, uh, it, it, it's scary, actually. <laughs> <laughs> How there were times where I'm like, oh, my God, like physically he looks just like Tommy, you know, it's like insane. It's absolutely amazing. Um, OK, so, well, I, I had like I said earlier, I had a really tough time uh, grading this movie because the movie is a comment uh, on art and a comment on. Uh, is what is considered bad truly good and is what's really good considered really bad? Does it really matter?
0: And it feels a little hypocritical to give it a grade.
1: And this is why I did not give it a grade on my written review on uh, Next Best Picture. I just – I wrote my review and I and all of a sudden it became less about the movie and more of a comment on how one judges art. And then the idea of separating the art from the artist – And the fact that this is called The Disaster Artist and how the room could be considered the ultimate piece of disaster art, you know, there's a lot of meta in this movie that uh, really kind of gets you thinking a lot about, honestly, like, what the hell are we doing here? Like, judging someone else's uh, work of art. The fact that Tommy brought these people together, shot this movie with his own money, Got it edited, got it, you know, like, got it in the theaters. And made a profit. Let's be clear. he made, He's made millions on this film. Yeah. Paid for that billboard with his own money, kept it up in Hollywood on the, on the highway for years just so that people would come see his movie, kept paying for theaters to show it. Like, he has made millions because of his tenacity and his hard work and his dedication. How in God's name am I going to rate the room with a negative review, and then in, in, in turn, because the disaster artist is so much about the room and the making of it, how in the world can I then turn around to the disaster artist and decide to give it a grade?
0: And you know, it's funny because you and I always get mad when we feel like people aren't objective in reviews. You know, like oh, well, there are certain baseline things. Is it technically well made, et cetera, et cetera? Th- and then we're we're gonna. This is I, you're right. I can only be subjective here. It does not meet the base criteria of being a technically well-made film. Normally, a film with its technical aspects, I would give a six or something. But this made me so happy, so well acted on Franco's part, and just so entertaining. And as you're right, you know, it, it is its own unique work of art. I will, I will join you. I will not give it a grade. But I would give it a good one.
1: I am with you uh, for that. And and I can tell people that my grade for this is actually out there somewhere. I just have it hidden. And mm-hmm. you'll have to do some digging in order to find it. But it's definitely not on the uh, review page. For it's next on his letterbox. Hey, 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 hey. I'm fed <laughs> up with this world.
0: Goodbye. <laughs> he shoots himself in the face twice. Maybe ride after. Or did you stop
1: writhing after you shot yourself in the face. No, uh, this is real acting. It's a real Hollywood movie. It's bullshit. I did not hit her. I did not. All right, will forgoing the grade, Oscar potential, hit me. Uh,
0: I think Franco and adapt- adapted screenplay are absolutely going to get in, but largely because their fields are weak. But they're they're worthy.
1: Do me a favor, please do do your absolute best so I don't have to cuz I feel like I'll just get angry to tell everyone that's listening why this is not going to get a best picture nomination
0: at the end of the day it is something of a niche film i, I can't see many of the academy members even with a new voting body who were willing who were too elitist to go for something like the dark knight because it had genre trappings who will bring themselves to go for something that's not nearly as well made and is just straight comedy basically at the end of the day this is about as far from an academy movie as is possible and the only reason it's going to get some attention is because the two categories it's going to contend in are very weak this year that being said, Hollywood loves movies about itself. I think it'll continue to show up. I think it'll show up at the Globes. I think it'll get plenty of Critics Award nominations. I don't see a Best Picture nomination.
1: Uh, James Franco is a lock for the Golden Globe. Do you share that sentiment?
0: Uh, not a lock, but I think he's... I I think it's very likely he'll win.
1: Who do you think beats him? <sighs> Kaluuya, Get off! You need to get off of that. That's not yeah. happening. It's
0: it's probably Franco.
1: Yeah, I yeah I, I certainly don't think it'll be Hugh Jackman. Well, in any event, all right. Any final thoughts on the Disaster Artist, well? I really enjoyed it. Go see it. You'll have a lot of fun. Do you think that they need to see The Room in order to enjoy The Disaster Artist? It helps.
0: It's not necessary. At the very least, I would go watch some clips beforehand.
1: Yeah, just type in The Room Best on YouTube. Watch the first video that appears on the top of the YouTube search engine. Um, it's just you know a video that says something along the lines of The Best of The Room. It's like 10 minutes long, and it just gives you this full spectrum of everything that is unbelievable about this movie, <laughs> like there's like continuity errors. It's like, where the hell did this guy come from in this shot? You know what I mean? And like, oh, they yeah. cast, they recast an actor midway through the film. Like, plot lines never come back. There's like no explanation <laughs> the for why they disappear. <laughs> Yo, Jackie Weaver. Can we talk about Jackie Weaver? Yeah, she's just like, I don't understand. It never goes anywhere. <laughs> But then Jackie has, like, probably one of the best lines of the whole movie and, like, one of the best moments. Oh, where where she's sitting around the table eating lunch. She loves acting. Yeah, and uh, Dave Franco says something along the lines of, like, why why do you guys do it if, you know, like, why do you guys put up with it? And Jackie Weaver just sells the moment so beautifully in that very sweet Jackie Weaver, you know, sort of way about how they're actors and this is what they love to do and any bad day on a film set is still better than any other day doing anything else
0: alright, on that note I've
1: got to head out but you can find
0: me on Twitter at Mavericks Movies
1: and you can find me at Next Best Picture everybody thank you so much for listening to the Next Best Picture podcast you can subscribe to us on SoundCloud, Google Play, Stitcher TuneIn, PlayerFM and on CastBox. Be sure to subscribe subscribe to us on iTunes. Leave us a review over there. Nothing less than five stars is acceptable. And we will see you all. Oh, hi, everybody. <laughs> Next time...